Welcome back to the Between Sets Podcast, everybody. Before we get into this amazing episode, uh, I just want to bring you guys an announcement that we have here at Modus Strength Health Club. We just launched a new service called the Modus Health and Fitness Consult. Uh, the, goal, the goal of this consult service is to reach those who need extra guidance and support in their fitness and health goals uh, without the commitment and the price tag of some of our other coaching services, uh, as well as for people that just want a quick like one-off chat uh, about anything from pain or injury, nutrition, weight loss, training or exercise programming, or anything else you would need related, related to fitness and health. Uh, we understand with with COVID going on, uh, it's hard for people to get around. And for those of you who have been listening to us and have always wanted to experience one of our services uh, and are interested with doing something online, this is perfect for you. Um, so what it would be would be a 30, 60, or 90-minute consult via Zoom or Skype or WhatsApp or whatever uh, video streaming service that you would want to use. Uh, and you can ask your your questions and anything that you need. Uh, one of our qualified team professionals will offer their our support, advice, and knowledge uh, myself, Tyler Morrow, and Tim Walcott will be spearheading this. So if you guys have ever wanted to chat with one of us in uh, over the, over Skype or, or Zoom or in person, one on one, then this is for you. Um, if you're, you know, th- this is for also people that are self motivated, and they just need that little bit of that extra nudge helping get back on track with your at-home training or your nutrition, uh, or if you feel overwhelmed or or just want. Uh, a opportunity to ask questions one-on-one without without anyone else without anyone else there so how you guys can book one go to any of our social media pages so tyler underscore mshc or tim underscore mshc or motor strength health club this that's all on instagram and you'll find a link to a google form and when you complete those one of us will get back to you within 24 hours to confirm your appointment um and you can also go to our Facebook page, Modus Strength Health Club. And again, that's Modus, M-O-T-U-S, Strength Health Club. And you'll also find the post and where to, you know, the to do the Google form as well. Uh, and if you guys have any questions about that, please feel free to reach out. You can also reach out at info at modusstrength.ca and we'll gladly answer any of your questions. And we look forward to to seeing you guys and and to helping you guys out and to being able to answer all your questions that you've been wanting to ask. Uh, without further ado, please enjoy this episode of Between Sets, and we'll catch you on the next one. Hello, folks. Welcome back to the show. I'm uh, your host, Tim Walcott, Between Sets. I'm here with my co-host, Tyler Patterson and Tyler Morrow. Uh, we are graciously joined by Charles Smith. Uh, Charles, I'm going to throw it to you. Tell everybody what you do, um, briefly how you got there, and uh, I guess we'll just we'll kind of take it from there. Yeah, sweet. Uh, stoked to be here. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, I'm a strength and conditioning coach at uh, Fortius Sport and Health in Burnaby, British Columbia. Um, I've been in the fitness industry for about eight years, um, strength and conditioning for about six. Um, and uh, yeah, I went to Arizona State University, uh, Go Devils, um, in Tempe, Arizona, um, in kinesiology, moved up to Vancouver uh, about five years ago, um, and have been here ever since. Work lots with, uh, yeah, youth athletes, um, diving into some track and field, some swimming things um, at the national level as well. So kind of lots of different, uh, lots of different clientele, athletes, people, um, having fun with them all. 
Man, okay. I have the most important question of the podcast. We'll just open it up with. Sure. Is it true that ASU is the number one party school in North America? Um, so I went there. I went there for the education. Um, so I yeah I yeah yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I think I think that we're currently listed as the uh, number one school in innovation. Um, is that's been that's taken over as the, okay. as the party school. So nice. yeah, yeah. The world's are just the world's are just beer bong. They're very innovative there. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Yeah. innovative ways to party there you go <laughs> <laughs> so wait are you for are you were you originally from the states then or are you from bc uh i'm actually from mississauga ontario oh, okay. oh wow. um, and then I, yeah i bounced around a few times grew up in dallas texas um and yeah vancouver's home now though that's what we get so did you originally train at like a commercial gym or something like just as a yeah man? so um, yeah, so first goal was at uh, LA Fitness in uh, Mesa, Arizona. We used to joke it was uh, La Fitness, a very exclusive uh, <laughs> training gym, <laughs> only for La the best Fitness. of athletes. Um, and then, yeah, I interned at Exos um, in Dallas, Texas, my last year of university. And that kind of took me off into, uh, into the sport performance world and strength and conditioning. Um, and I've kind of run with that ever since. Nice. Well, let's take it even farther back, Charles. What got you interested in like the body as a whole, strength and conditioning? What made you want to go to college for kinesiology? Run, run us through that. Yeah, such a great question. I feel like um, most people in our industry, um, really good athletes, uh, you know, the, the standard story is went through an injury, um, like the whole process and, and came to it. Uh, mine was a little bit different. I was a uh, mediocre athlete. I uh, ran track <laughs> cross country. Uh, played some hockey um, and uh, yeah, I really kind of like wanted to know why I wasn't good um, right. and kind of fell in love, <laughs> fell in love with the process a little bit and um, got an appreciation for, yeah, the, the training, uh, the nice. performance and, and what makes the, the best athletes, the best athletes. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So what you're saying okay. is you had, you had subpar genetics, so you need to make it by training and getting an yep. education in such. Okay. Sorry, yeah. sorry, mom and dad. <laughs> no, no, they should feel sorry for you. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, right. They should be sorry to you. You know, uh, I'm yeah. kidding. I'm kidding, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. I'm, you, you know, you raised a fine boy. Yeah, and, right. You know, I've met him for ten minutes so far. So, yeah. great gent. Uh, sorry, I've definitely seen some. Uh, I've definitely seen some pretty above average spike ball skills. Oh, I appreciate uh, that. Yeah, yeah, appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> hard, hard work and dedication. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, so you mentioned you work a lot with uh, a lot of youth athletes. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and, and you're like in the sports performance. Um, what, what kind of got you into that? What, what kind of led you down working like the, the youth athlete way? Um, yeah, I think I'm um, just a child at heart um, and uh, like really um, able to connect with the kiddos. I think that's, uh, that's kind of what got me into it. Um, it was the demographic that was there at the center that I was training at. Um, and I seemed to, to fit into it pretty quickly. Um, and then from there, just like developed uh, strategies to, to best interact with them and, and to get the most out of our training sessions. Um, and have kind of since then, like um, become a, a go-to guy in the area to, to get kids better at what they want to be better at. What's the, uh, what, what's the main age group? the range that you work with usually 
Yeah, so it's kind of like 14 to 19 uh, is kind of the wheelhouse, but okay. certainly um, younger than that if they, if they show up and, and we'll have fun with those kids too. Do you find that like on average there's uh, uh, maybe like the ideal age that you found that's like maybe, maybe not the easiest to work with, but like the most fun? Like is older always better or is there an age group where you're like, oh, that's like, I think it really, I think it really depends on the kid. Um, Depends on, yeah. Like how, how stoked they are to be there. Um, I think that's probably something we'll dive into a little bit, but um, if they're having fun with the entire process, then, um, then number one, they're going to get more out of it and it's going to make it a more enjoyable experience for everyone involved. Um, So yeah, I think it's, it's mostly like on an individual basis. I've, I've seen a lot of stuff about, um, uh, like, I don't know a ton about, um, uh, training kids or teens, but I, from what I've seen, just like reading online and stuff, I've seen a lot of, of, uh, evidence-based people talk about, um, the kind of telling parents and coaches to be wary of over-specialization. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, I think it's a, a, a big conversation to have. Um, I think in the next few minutes, I'll probably say a few controversial things. Um, and, and I don't think that, I don't, I don't think they're actually, I don't think they're actually controversial. Um, I just think that I'm going to maybe word them in a way that we're not used to them being worded. Um, so sports specialization is, I feel like it's become such a taboo topic in, in strength and conditioning. Um, and anytime we talk about sports specificity, every SNC coach jumps back away from it and says, nope, like that's not me. Um, we're going to build general athleticism, uh, which I think is, which I think is perfect. I think that's a really, really great answer. Um, but at some point that, that, that has to go away, there has to be some sort of specificity um, to a sport or to a context that's going to actually translate to, again, what the kid or what the athlete needs to be better at, wants to be better at. Um, so when I think about training kids and youth athletes, um, it's like the old bucket analogy, right? So the, the bucket is general athleticism. So this is your movement proficiency, your base strength, speed, power, endurance, capacity, whatever sort of physical attribute you want to have. Um, maybe your ability to run, stop, jump, land, throw, kick, hit. Um, and then inside of that bucket, filling it with whatever sort of liquid you like, um, is, is the context specificity. So the bigger, the bucket of, of general athleticism, uh, the more you're able to fill that with, with, um, yeah, context specific thing. So that's your ability to read, react, adapt to chaotic environments in a, in a team sport, for example, or to fit into specific um, coach schemes or strategies that they'd like you to, uh, like you to perform in. Um, or again, like the ability to, to play, like even with, um, like with individuals on the, on the field or on the ice or on the court, right? Um, we all have like a hockey background. Is that, have I heard that before? Or we uh, all understand uh, the game. Hockey, everyone except, hockey, for everyone yeah, except me. Yeah. Football. Yeah. Football yeah. D. So, so I think like, um, you know, we get a, we get a lot of hockey players um, in Vancouver. I'm, I'm sure you guys do in, in Ontario as well. Um, and, and I think about like, if you're looking at like a defenseman, so, you know, a 15 year old defenseman comes in and, and they want to get, they want to get better at being a hockey player. 
um, we have to look at the context as, as to where they actually need to get better at. Um, where do they need to be faster? Where do they need to be stronger? And that helps us dictate where we can push their training to get the most out of it. That's interesting. That so using actually going back just a bit there, what you're saying with the, mm -hmm. just trying to understand the bucket analogy there, would, would you yeah. say then that like uh, uh, SNC coaches who say that um, maybe you would call it a cop out, maybe not, but just like say that they're, Oh, I just trained for general athleticism. Would you say that based on the analogy you use, they're essentially making the bucket bigger, but not filling it with anything? Uh, yeah, correct. So, um, yeah, love it. I think this is where, um, this is where the term strength and conditioning coach doesn't really fully encompass what we do, um, or what the, the top level of strength and conditioning coaches does. Um, I, I say like during my, during my day, so say I've got five, six, seven coaching hours on the floor, my role fluctuates from being a personal trainer to a strength and conditioning coach, to a skills coach, to a babysitter, to literally <laughs> everything in between. Um, and, and depending on who the athlete is in front of me, who the client is in front of me, I have to kind of code switch um, to make sure that I'm either, yeah, so, so take that athlete example, some kids need a bigger bucket and some kids need more liquid in their bucket. Mm. Um, and it's, it's up to the practitioner team around them to decide, okay, who is making the bucket bigger and who's adding that context. Oh, uh, that's cool. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. That's really good. And so, and so sometimes that's, that's my job as a, as a strength and conditioning coach, I have to take on the role as more of a skill coach, um, to add that context specificity to make them again, actually better at what they want to be better at. That's cool. Is it pretty hard? Have you found it hard to find the, uh, find that, or maybe not anymore. You've been in for eight years, but like, have you, did you find it originally hard to, to, to differentiate where that line is between like, what is general athleticism for someone? And then what, when does it become sport specific? Yeah, I think that's like, that's the, that's the battle every single day is, is okay. trying to figure out, um, yeah, where, a, where an athlete sits on this kind of continuum of, of what does need to actually be developed um, to, to again, yeah, make them, make them better at sport. Um, I, I think like the example that always comes to my mind is like, is the dad of the 14 year old soccer player that comes in and says their kid's slow and has heavy feet. Um, and, and when we're going through this like initial consultation, we're all taught to, to try to like dive into the whys, right? Like, why are you here? Why are you training? Why does it matter? But then when we get to like the physical attributes, we stop, we stop short. We hear that a kid wants to become faster and stronger. And as a coach, like I just, I salivate, right? It's like, this kid gets it. Like he wants to be better. He needs to be stronger and faster. Um, but I think sometimes we skip over the question of, okay, if, if you think that you're, if you want to become faster, there has to be some specific context or situation in which you feel slow or you, or you are slow. Um, yeah. Same thing with strength, right? If, if you come in saying, I want to be stronger, there has to have been a situation where you felt weak. And I, I think that's our job as, as coaches, as trainers, 
to to really piece that out. So is your kid actually slow or is he bad at reading game situations? If if we if we make him better at reading that situation, does he end up in a better spot? I don't know, right? So it depends on it depends on the kid. Um and and I think you know we have to figure out where to allocate our resources in terms of time, energy and money to again get the most, you know, bang for our buck with with our training. That's cool. Yeah, that's great. I feel like a lot of that is it's like goals, context dependency, uh, which essentially comes with experience, right? Uh, yeah. Being able to even connect with the youth athletes, uh, especially, right? Like when you're like just being able to pull pull things out of them, like you kind of mentioned, like when, when they get it and then it's like, okay, well, do they need to be able to read and react a little bit quicker? And then like what type of drills can we come up with that would be more specific to their sport? Kind of like yeah, totally. Idea, right? And, and even like, um, you know, maybe we need to be allocating time towards like film, like, do they need to be watching video? Do they, it, it doesn't all have to come back to this, this physical aspect. Um, I, I think for a lot of kids, it does, we need to, we do need to make their bucket bigger. Um, but I, I don't think that we can completely ignore that context, that context specificity. Um, and as, as the, uh, I'm in private strength and conditioning. So inherently the kid is coming to me because they feel like they're not getting something from their organization, from their team. Um, and they need to, they need to take something to the next level. So we need to figure out what that is again, to, to help them achieve what that is. You know, I have a question about, uh, like you mentioned a little bit there about like strengths and weaknesses. So as far as, uh, like, I'm, I'm assuming you would go through a process, obviously, as a coach where you're determining strengths and weaknesses of, of, uh, of these players and then also what their goals are, which actually may not even align, but that's a whole other thing. Like, yep. um, to preface, I, I remember hearing about, I don't follow CrossFit very much, but I remember hearing about a, a well-known coach who... Uh, and he still coaches a lot of like the top athletes and he when he was starting to become popular he took over a bunch of athletes and he got them to focus uh very unproportionately or disproportionately towards their weaknesses and essentially what happened uh the theory goes anyway is a lot of these athletes dropped down uh when they first started training with him i don't know where they're at now so i don't want to sound like i'm disparaging him but when it when what had happened is when they started training with him, they originally lost their spots where they were usually in the games. And it's because the theory goes anyways, that their strengths, uh, they totally lost their strengths and their weaknesses maybe got a bit better. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But the fact is that they weren't putting enough focus into their strengths, if that makes sense. So do you have any thoughts on that as far as like, uh, cause I think that's kind of a cliche and maybe it's true. Maybe it's not, but your thoughts specifically on train your weaknesses, literally just that, kind of slogan because a lot of people think that but then i've also heard the opposite where it's like you train too much on your weaknesses you neglect your strengths and then you lose your strength being your strength if that makes sense yeah i think it depends on where you are in this long-term athletic development plan okay. um i think the the younger you are um biologically uh the more we can try to level things off so it's bringing your weaknesses up um, and yeah, that, that might mean that your strengths come down a little bit, 
but again, they're not really your strength or weaknesses yet because, because you haven't, you haven't matured yet to a, to a level. Um, or maybe you're just a novice in a new game and you don't understand the game yet. So again, we can't accurately measure your strengths and weaknesses. Um, as you get further along this long-term athletic development plan. So now we're talking about, uh, elite crossfitters who, um, they've, they've peaked essentially, right? Like they're in, they're in the best of the, they're participating with the best of the best. Um, they're and pretty much and all of them have come from other sports too. Like they were good at it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like their, their strengths and their weaknesses are their strengths and their weaknesses. And they're, they're there for a reason. So I think, yeah, like the, the 1% increase that we could top up their strength goes a goes a lot more it goes a, a much further way than trying to bring up their weakness you know whatever sort of percent right i think um yeah the, the more you get towards that elite end it's yeah like own your strengths and be really good at a few things yeah now would you also say that the it's more important when you're when you're coaching a kid to make it more fun or do you think that's equally important for adults Oh yeah. Equally, if not, if not more, like there's, there's sort of like this inherent fun level to being a kid. Um, I think like there's, uh, whatever it is, life that gets in the way that, uh, that brings us down as we age. But I, I think, yeah, like for sure, like adults have to have to have, um, have, have to have a good time throughout this whole process as well. And that helps with adherence and compliance and, the more you show up and the more you do the work, then the better results you get, the better results you get, the happier you are. It's like this positive feedback loop of, of fun. And I think that's a great way to, great way to start it. Yeah. I think that's probably uh, like when we work together, uh, that's probably one of the biggest takeaways I saw from uh, like yourself, Charles, uh, is your ability uh, with adult clients to make it fun and add that uh, component of like gamification. Uh, I think like that, uh, the component of play is generally lost, uh, when people think of like working out and I, I think it gets like, it, like it's, it's undervalued, uh, whether like, it's just like playing, playing a game, uh, for a warm up or, uh, even like at, at the end of a workout or keeping track and like, like, even if it's like an AMRAP and like, you're getting back into the CrossFit, you know, since we're, since we're all such big CrossFit guys. <laughs> um, Dude, I just, uh, I just bought Metcons off someone. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, but yeah, it's just, it's adding that component of play and adding that component of fun. And I think like you, like you totally encompass that, like you make training fun and you're like, you're out, like when you're out on the floor and like, it's like, whether it's adults, whether it's kids, it's, uh, it's 110% effort, like every time. And it's, it's just like a whole lot of fun, right? Yeah, I man. That's I, that's a big part of what you bring like to, to training, right? Yeah, I, I appreciate you saying that. Like it definitely is um yeah, something that, that I consciously like try to bring to the table um and try to inject some some fun and positivity to to every training floor that I'm on. Um I think you know one of the reasons that sometimes fun like starts to slip away is um especially in the adult populations is like this concept of, of fragility, like we, we see this like laundry list of injury and medical history that someone's accrued for 50 or 60 years. And like, we're just, we're scared to, to do anything fun with them. Um, and that, that leads this like just monotonous 
boring routine um, where there is, yeah, I mean, it's just like, it's not an enjoyable thing. Um, so I think, yeah, like just understanding that people are, people are resilient and uh, they, they want to have fun and they want to enjoy the process. And, and, and that doesn't mean they're not working hard and, and getting after it. That's actually one of the, uh, that's actually one of the reasons why that one of the arguments is specificity, where if you make a kid specialize too much and just work on their weakness and it's, let's say it's one weakness and it's the same thing over and over, they're going to start to not enjoy it anymore. They're going to start like potentially resenting their sport, not wanting to do it. Cause they're like, it's too hard. It's not fun anymore. So same thing with like an adult. I don't think there's much of a difference other than the fact that like you were saying before, Charles, these kids have an inherent level of fun. I think they enjoy it because it's not like homework, I suppose. But a lot of adults, like they're going to stop if you don't make it fun. Uh, like Tim, uh, Tyler and I, I guess we're all personal trainers as well. And we understand that you have to get people to enjoy it or they're not going to remain consistent and consistency is the key. Right. So I think that was one of the arguments to specificity that I got in with people where if kids play other sports, it's kind of like fun. They get to master another movement. And I don't think it's necessarily going to make them worse at their sport. I, you know, and the argument is, does it make them better? Um, and that kind of remains to be seen, I suppose. I, you know, maybe the three of, or four of us all have different viewpoint on that, but uh, I know Tim's itching to say something. So go for it, dude. Oh, I was going to ask something totally irrelevant. I agree with what you're saying. I, but I, <laughs> sure. I'm just like, I'm, my, my wheels are spinning as far as, cause we haven't really had anyone come on the show. I think that have any experience with training kids, uh, at least to the level that you do, you know? Um, uh, but what, so one of the things I was thinking of is have you had an issue, uh, and maybe you still do, uh, with, with, with kids that you're training and their parents getting in the way? Oh yeah. Look at that smile, Charles. You have a million yeah, stars, beauty. don't you? Yeah. Great, great, great. Um, yeah. So, um, yes, yes. And no, um, <laughs> the answer is yes. Next. <laughs> the answer is yes. Go. Yeah. Next. Um, yeah. Parents are a funny thing with, with youth athletes. Um, and there's certainly a, a huge spectrum of, um, involvement with parents in their, in their kids activities. Um, you know, you get some people who, who want to be involved with every single decision, um, and others who want the kid to take charge. Um, and I, I kind of welcome, I welcome both because I think that it's a good opportunity for education for both the athlete and the parent of, of what this whole thing is, is really actually about. Um, I think your question is probably more geared towards that, like that helicopter parent. Um, and yeah, I mean, for, for sure. Like there's, um, parents texting me right now about their kids schedules the next day. Um, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, I, I think setting expectations, like firm expectations right from the beginning, um, is, is really, really crucial when it comes to parents, um, making sure that they know, that this is their this is their child's time. Um, it's their it's their kid's time. It's it's not theirs. Um, I highly discourage parents being on the training floor. I highly discourage parents being visible um, during the training session. I'm happy to go talk with the dad afterwards for an hour and a half if they want to about what we did um, and everything. You know the the reasoning behind everything, but. Um, but again, I, I find that you can get so much more out of the kid if they know that mom and dad aren't there and critiquing them and they're not going to have to talk about their performance in the gym on the car ride home. Um, that makes sense. Which, which I know, you know, a lot of us dreaded. 
uh, leaving, uh, leaving sporting events. True. Oh, Charles, I got like, Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Ty. I see that you want to go next. Yeah, it's all all good, man. Uh, You kind of mentioned like setting those expectations uh, and communication with uh, with the parents. Um, I'm sure you've uh, probably seen some some younger athletes uh, go through like a bit of a burnout stage. Uh, Mm -hmm. Just wondering, like if you've done anything and like what your kind of strategy is uh, to address that in terms of communication with both uh, both the athlete and then along with the parents as well. Yeah, I think. being the coach is a really it's a special relationship with the kid often um and it's um it's a relationship that they often feel like they can share more um share more openly uh about how they're feeling about maybe it's maybe it is sport or school or whatever else is going on um with their life um so i i I take that super seriously and and making sure that like i am an, an open uh, an open door for them for whatever they want to chat about. Um, so, yeah, I mean, certainly if they, if they come to me and say they're, they're not enjoying playing whatever sport it is, like it's a, it's a real, real like adult conversation about it. Um, I think that's a, a cool opportunity to teach kids, um, you know, how to have good conversations and, and communicate effectively. Um, so yeah, I mean, we have a, you know, a real sit down and, um, it's not in, it's not between sets. It's, it's our own, it's our own Ooh. time to go, to go chat about it. He dropped the podcast. He just won the game. He won the game. In the podcast. Yeah. Um, Favorite podcast guest from now on. Yeah. Charles yeah, perfect, perfect. <laughs> it's on your podcast. Bingo. Eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everyone take a shot. That's on the drinking game. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Perfect. Um, yeah. And then, and then with parents, I think, um, you know, it's, we don't have a true like athlete coach confidentiality agreement. Uh, but there is, there is some respect to that. So I think in, in the conversations with parents, um, it is like, it's trying to suss out how much, how much they know, um, and, and how much they've, they've seen with their kid. Um, and then if it's, you know, if it's appropriate to have that conversation, then we have that conversation. But I do, I try to put it in the hands of the athlete, of the, of the kid and let them own that situation. And if they need my help owning that situation, then I'm happy to help out. Nice. Actually leads me into like kind of two questions here, Charles. The first one would be like with the parents. So now understanding kind of your perspective on how the parents get involved and that you want the kid to kind of run the show to a certain extent do you ever mm-hmm. suggest to the parents that like the kid needs something different so like a certain diet sleep regimen or like do you or or again back to your original point is it like is it just a conversation between you and the uh the athlete yeah um it's interesting i i think when it comes to diet um you know when in doubt refer out um sure i'm i'm lucky enough to be surrounded by some really really great practitioners from uh, registered dietitians to sports psychs, to physios, chiros, RMTs, you name it. Um, so if there's ever something that, that I feel like is not directly in my scope, in my wheelhouse, then I've got a lot of great people to push them towards. Um, if the questions about, if the questions about diet, um, nutrition, depending on the age, um, I find that if they're like, if they're younger than 16, that conversation always starts from the parent. The, the kid is not asking you about nutrition if they're younger than 16. Like I, I yeah. not once have I had that conversation. It's always the parent um, being concerned, sometimes rightfully so. 
um, a lot of the times, rightfully so. So it is, yeah, I mean, it's having maybe kind of like the, the quick conversation with the parent and then referring them to someone who can have um, a much better conversation with them. Sure. Um, I do think it's important to instill like positive, healthy lifestyle habits as, as early as possible. So yeah, I mean, like we'll have conversations, general conversations about sleep, hydration, nutrition, um, how to deal with stress, anxiety, time management, things like that. Like these are all these sort of like small educational tidbits that I'll try to sprinkle in throughout sessions and um, throughout my time with an athlete just to, um, again, yeah, make it more of a lifelong thing. Do you, um, do you ever get a, a parent hire you and really once maybe in the consultation or the first meeting, you, it becomes clear that they really just hired you so that you would agree with them? of what's wrong with their kid or, or what they want their kid to do. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, totally. So, um, I've, my stance on this is, uh, I know a lot of people that would turn that parent and turn that kid away right from the get go. They would say, this is, this is not for me. This is not what I do. Um, I, I, res I respect that. Um, I think that any one of those situations again, is a, is a chance to be a positive influence on that situation. And if that means that I have to tell a couple of white lies to parents in this initial consultation about what the training is going to look like, I'm happy, I'm happy to do so. And I'm going to bring that kid in and we're going to start instilling really, really good things and, and things that I feel like are going to help them along. Um, and then, you know, it's about, it's about getting trust and getting buy-in and, and having this, having the athlete, um, know that what you're doing with them is in their best interest. And then once the, once the athlete, once the kid is bought in, they're having fun, they're getting better, they're enjoying the process, then dad's right along with it too. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, hap I'm happy to throw a few fibs in the consultation to, that was, to, that to was make, kind of my to make question it a better experience. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, it was like, how do you deal yeah. with that then? Like what's your, uh, and like you Lie said- Lie to their faces. <laughs> okay i respect that yeah, yeah. No, but I I mean, you had a good point you were like I, I respect people who don't feel comfortable taking that you know yeah and yeah, turning them yeah. away which and that seems reasonable to me too but also um uh your response which uh makes a lot of sense to me as well because you're kind of seeing longer term like what can i do uh to get my foot in the door and then uh become a positive influence on on the kid and the dad maybe you know yep yeah so. totally yeah, that's awesome. Um, let's transition a little bit. Uh, like, let's you like I know your your thing is speed. Like, uh, like I like I've never seen someone on a gym floor was like just so much pop. Like always, like in their step, he's just like flying around the training floor and like like you're. I, I think I learned a lot from you just in terms of like speed development and uh, making athletes faster. Uh, uh, I've definitely like uh, incorporated a lot of what you did in terms of uh, like the, the way I guess you would uh, progress uh, drills um, in a session and uh, outside of a session uh, or, or I, I guess like in a longer term uh, training period, like a training block. Uh, let, let's talk about your processes. Like what's, what's kind of when a, like a, like, like an athlete comes in the door and speed is their number one goal. What's kind of like, your process in terms of assessment and then uh, how, how are you going to make that athlete uh, a faster athlete on the field uh, from, from the training floor? 
Yeah, it's um, it's changed over the years for sure. Um, and and kind of my thoughts on speed and speed development have changed as well. Um, so I'll, I'll I'll give you a quick rundown of I guess where I'm at currently, um, and we can kind of dive dive back if you guys would like. But um, yeah, so I mean, first of all, when they first come in, um, again, it's it's going to start with an interview process. I want to know who they are, what their story is. Um, again, they want to become faster, so that means that they felt slow in some situation. Um, if they're a track and field athlete, it's really easy to understand where they felt slow. Um, if they're a team sport athlete, it's it's a little bit more difficult, but with uh, some good questions and a good conversation, you can start to figure out in, in what situations they feel slow. Um, and then we'll then we'll take them onto the floor, and it's going to start with like a full like movement analysis so like kind of like a modified fms um I, you know some sort of variation of a, of a movement screen um looking for yeah i mean it's kind of like systemic movement patterns can you put your body in positions that it needs to be put in um can your body do things that it needs to do to become fast um and then, yeah, depending on who they are, like we'll usually take them through like a performance testing battery, um, which um, will usually be some sort of like short acceleration drill, like a, a 10 meter or a 10 yard sprint. Um, that's pretty much a staple in, in everybody's training battery for me. I wanna see the angles that they can hold. Um, I wanna see how they produce power um, and how effectively they can, they can hold that. Um, and then after that, it does, it gets a bit more context dependent of, of um, what, what sport you play and sort of what sort of maybe energy systems we're looking at, what sort of movement patterning we're looking at. Um, and then, yeah, from there, like, we'll take a look at it subjectively, like, how do they move? Um, what was their movement strategy to get through those tests? Um, and then we'll look like objectively at their, at their scores. I've gotten uh, much less, um, dependent on objective data with those measurements. Um, I don't think that we're truly measuring what we think we're measuring when we uh, pull out a stopwatch or pull out a jump mat or a vertex or whatever you want. Um, so uh, yeah, I think for me, it's like, it's, it's a lot about just watching them move and, and seeing where we can clean up um, movement patterns and energy leaks and, and then let them fly. Yeah, that's great. That's, uh, yeah, that's, that's good stuff. So, uh, how, how would you say, like you, like you mentioned, it's kind of changed over the years and you mentioned like some of the objectivity, uh, like you're not, mm -hmm. you're not taking that into his account anymore. And then, uh, but it, it's more about how they move. Um, so I think, I think a big thing like that I've kind of kind of realized like more recently and something I've come across is the importance of even just like strength, like just generalized strength in, in terms of speed development. Uh, yep. because like in, in the end, when an athlete is, uh, I guess, I guess stronger compared to their body weight, uh, you're ultimately going to achieve, uh, like a, like a, like a faster athlete. Uh, but what type of things can you do, uh, to translate that strength into that speed, um, for, for a specific sport or a specific context? Yeah, I think the, one of the, one of the reasons I really love strength training for speed development is uh number one it's like it's a confidence booster uh, people getting stronger makes them feel good 
Um, and when you feel good, you are more willing, I think, um, anecdotally, you're more willing to like, to just, to just go. Um, my, uh, my biggest thing right now is, is just intent. Um, like I find that a lot of people have this like internal governor in their, in their minds or in their bodies that's saying like, slow down or, uh, don't move that fast. And if we can find a way to shut that off, like, uh, again, people, people can just go, like, I, I find so many athletes have the, the physiological capabilities of moving fast, producing force quickly, producing large amounts of force quickly, but they just don't, tr they don't trust themselves or their brain doesn't trust their body to, to move through space that quickly. So I think, yeah, like things like things like general strength training, giving people confidence to, um, to produce large amounts of force, um, effectively and efficiently. Um, and then getting comfortable with, with speed and power, um, movement. So whether that's throwing things, um, whether that is things like sprinting, jumping, um, things like Olympic lifts are, are super useful in, in certain times as well. Um, but again, I think for, for every athlete, it's slightly different of, of what it takes just to take out that internal, I don't want to go that fast thought. That's interesting. The, the mental block. Yeah. The, and, and, yeah. And I'm not even sure if it's a mental, well, sometimes it's a mental block, but it's like, it's just this, it's this disconnect. Like it's a neuromuscular block, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. It's like a, it's a, a messaging block. That's interesting. It's kind of like, there's like that inhibition that there's yeah, like yeah. kind of like, like there's that almost like uncertainty of like how fast and like what you're actually capable of. Totally. And, but they uh, went, but they can't even be conscious of it. Nope. Or, um, so, right? so fit like film works really well. Um, and again, this is where, uh, like Timo mentioned how, like how I do, like I, I just, I bounce around the training floor. Um, and I do that sort of, I do that sort of intentionally, like to show that, like, I really do like movement and especially speed is it's so elastic. It like, it needs to be elastic. Um, and obviously there's, there's a large spectrum of, of how people produce force and how people produce force quickly. Some people are more elastic by nature. Um, some people are more on the, on the force end, like they actually put force into the ground. Um, but the the springier you can get the more efficient you're the more efficient you are right like we've we've got all of this stored energy in our muscles and tendons like let's we need to be we need to be using this um so i do that intentionally around athletes i bounce around i'm springy i'm jumping like they can they can see this elastic nature of the human body um and then i and then i film and then i film them and i i let them watch themselves and i say like it, you know you can see like it looks like you're stuck in mud or you're you know it looks like you're wearing concrete shoes um and and a lot of times that visual feedback is is a is a good tool to to let them see um that they they can be faster that's interesting do you do you when you're uh programming for an athlete to increase their speed in some way um do you intentionally periodize it in a way potentially maybe not all the time or maybe not at all but have you ever and do you currently periodize it in a way that you would um really focus on 
increasing force production uh, while under while accepting that speed will temporarily decrease. Uh, yep. Yep. Yeah. So it, it depends on, um, depends on like competition season. Sure. Okay. So, so for some athletes, it's not acceptable for them to lose speed, right? Like during competition season. So if right. we're looking at a track athlete, a, yeah. a swimmer, someone in that, someone in athletics, again, where there is uh, the only context that is relevant is being fast. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for a team sport athlete, for example, like, um, so when we look at like hockey academies, right, I could go off all day on hockey academies, but like, <laughs> it's this, it, it is like, it's this like eight to 10 month long season of like, they're in, um, like they're, they're always, they're always playing. So yes, as a coach, you do have to accept that their, their speed, their true speed. Uh, if you were, if you were on a stopwatch, it's, it's going to go down at certain points based on what the priority is in the gym for sure yeah and that makes sense i guess based on like uh not just their sport but also the the performance needs of the sport and where they are in the yeah yep yeah totally okay yeah does that ever freak them out (laughs) or are they Um, they they on board pretty good like yeah yeah so um um i think a, a one of my big principles with training is making sure that the athlete really understands the process um they they know what phase of training we're in they know what the goal of the phase of training is they know what uh what i'm looking for in our fundamental movements for that phase um they're they're a big part of the process um so there is like there's an education piece to it for sure um definitely if you don't tell a kid that he's going to get slower and he gets slower that's a that's yeah not great he's not going to feel great about that for sure so the expectations play a big part there. Yeah. Yeah, knowing, absolutely. Knowing what's going to happen and being like, hey, yep. this is all part of the plan. You know? Yeah, totally. Okay. I, f- I feel like speed is just such an important aspect of like the athletic development, especially like at a young age right now. Like if you look at the top end hockey players, like the players in the NHL, you look at like Connor McDavid, uh, like, like Philippe Bias, you look at like Mitch Marner, like those type of guys, the way they skate and like the lateral movement they have is just like it's unparalleled like it's never like i like during during lockdown there they were showing all the old old videos of all these old old school hockey games and it's like wow like how like how much it's changed right like almost like every hockey player they they've got to have like like just that in like unparalleled speed like it's it's like ne- next to obviously hockey sense and like hockey skills like that speed yeah. is like that that's like the number one thing that you're looking to develop now um, yeah agreed you, you don't see those like big bulky hockey players as much anymore with like some of the dad bods uh they're they're all like like super lean athletes right they're 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 mega lean they like they don't have a ton of muscle on them uh, but like the the amount of force that they're able to produce in a short amount of time and uh they the their ability to react to play is just it's 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 unbelievable yeah i think um it's interesting like the the switch in like game styles um i find so often like in elite athletics it's it's almost self-selecting of who who makes it to that level um and and so certainly like in the you know in the 80s the 90s even the early 2000s in in the nhl like you you had you had to be that big 
Um, and I, I think like the self-selection to get to that level of, of elite hockey is now, is now shifting where if you are, if you are bigger, stronger and slower, you just, you just don't make it to the, you don't make it to that next level. You don't make it to, um, you know, to junior A or to NCAA and, and you're not going to make it to the NHL. So I think, um, I think, yeah, like the, the smaller, the faster kids, it's, 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 it's their time to shine for sure. Um, what I'd say with that speed, I, I think it's really interesting. Like we would all unanimously say that Connor McDavid is the fastest skater in the NHL. Pretty much. I feel like. That that yeah. I, think, I, I actually that think he lost that. in the skills competition. Right. I he did. Totally. To who, but. To, uh, to Matt Barzell. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, the BC so boy. Is, so, yeah, yeah, exactly. So this is kind of like where I wanted to take this with like, with like contextual speed. Right. And, and why, why it matters not just to be physiologically fast, but to be fast within the context of what you're trying to do. So we all think that Connor McDavid is the fastest skater in the NHL because if you watch an Oilers game, he is literally everywhere. Like there's, you can't, you can't ignore him. He's like, he's in, he's back checking. He's hard, like hard for checking. He's got the pockets, like, you know, hard streaks in the neutral zone. He's literally everywhere. Um, and, and the context of the Oilers playing style allows him to do that. And now we've got a guy like Matt Barzell, who is uh, statistically the fastest skater in the NHL. We can talk about that data point if you want. It probably doesn't <laughs> probably doesn't really match up. Um, but but why do we not think that he's the fastest skater in the NHL? It's like you know the Islanders play this defensive style. They they don't allow um, they don't allow. He he doesn't have the chance to to skate like Connor McDavid in that, in that Islanders, in that Islanders scheme. Um, so again, I think like when we're looking at um, speed development, again, going back to that question of why do you feel slow? Like Matt Barzell doesn't come in ever and say, I feel slow. Connor McDavid never comes in and says, I feel slow, but there's a distinct difference. I, I think if you were going to watch game film that one of them looks substantially faster and that's mm -hmm. Connor McDavid because the context allows him to look faster. Well, all of his other skills come into play. Like he's actually able to stick handle and be totally. fast, not just fast in a circuit in a straight line and then yeah. a curve. Right. Yep. And he has where other players are and where his players are. Like it's, he's got that hockey sense that, you know, debatably you can't really teach. Like there's a reason why he's, you know, debatably one of the best hockey players of all time. Right. Yep, agreed. So, so it definitely makes sense. Yeah. So it's cool. Everything that you're saying, Charles, it really makes sense. If I were to try to summarize it at a point and tell me if I'm completely wrong, but obviously everything's context dependent and it depends what the weakness is to a certain extent of like how it actually affects their game. You know what I mean? So, so it, it does make sense that you have to find out what the actual goal is. Like, are they, what, in what context are they slow? In what context are they weak or whatever it is? Uh, it could just be like their hockey sense that maybe you can't teach and you should just not completely dismiss that goal, but work on the other things or work on things that will get them to that point without, well, well unwittingly, they won't know that what you're going to do is helping them to get to that point. Yeah, bingo. Do you, do you, ever, do you ever get people where they're, uh, athletes specifically, where they're, uh, 
they have so they're like so far uh inundated with sports specific stuff where you're like oh they just need they need way more general athletic training yep is that most of them or uh, just because like they just do the sport most um yeah i we're definitely seeing it more with like the hockey academy style like okay. definitely we've got i mean we've got 14 year olds who can't stand on a single leg um <laughs> and that's not like that's not a great thing um i my man it's not a good story but we had uh one of our off-season hockey camps a couple years back um we had this like conditioning day on fridays and uh it was uh, like, it's just, it was supposed to be like a, it's a, it's a fun circuit, right? Like not really, it's just like, get the guys going. And uh, I think the interval was like 40 seconds that they they had to work for. And one of the stations was, was jump rope. It was skipping rope. And we had this group of like, I don't know, it was like 18 to 20 uh, junior hockey players. And uh, it wasn't myself that was running the session, but I, I got pulled aside afterwards later in the week um or on the weekend maybe by that coach and said like hey like guys are really loving the programming but like they just feel like they can't they can't jump rope for 40 seconds and they can't like they can't push themselves for 40 seconds of the jump rope they keep like dropping the rope they keep hitting themselves in the back and it like it was kind of like a funny moment at the time is like these kids can't jump rope and then, and then it made me think, it's like, yeah, like they're just, they're, they are missing this general athleticism. Like they can't bounce on their, they can't bounce on their feet and get a rope over top of their head and, and find that timing. Um, and I would, I mean, I, I challenge all of them to go find an NHL player who couldn't jump rope for 40 seconds. And I, I don't, I don't think you could. Um, the, the level of general athleticism that it takes to get to, that elite level of of sport skill i think is i think is huge um and that was kind of like that was an eye-opening moment for me that that these kids yeah like totally just need to be exposed to more yeah more variables we need to show them more and let them become good at at a lot of different things yeah true yeah definitely makes sense yeah yeah, that's yeah, that's unbelievable. Forty seconds, right? Like, <laughs> you would you would you would think that would uh, that most uh, like athletes that are at like a junior level or something would have come across at least jump rope, um, or even like at, six at seconds, point. man. <laughs> six yeah. seconds, yeah. Like they were they were having One. a struggle even get they were just having a struggle getting going. Uh, two jumps, I guess they're yeah they're they're not getting into the CrossFit. They're not doing any double unders anytime. Yeah, soon. yeah, right. <laughs> um, yeah, let's okay. Uh, just to we'll, we'll kind of get into like wrapping some things up and we'll kind of get into uh, a few final questions here. Um, what's like, uh, like you see a lot of strength and conditioning coaches, personal trainers, spending a lot of time, foam rollers, smashing, whatever, mm -hmm. applying different modalities, uh, vibration therapy, uh, soft issue. Even sometimes you see soft issue, uh, uh, therapy being done, uh, in terms of like a personal training session or, uh, uh, or, or, or like a strength conditioning session, what's kind of, uh, your opinion on personal trainers kind of taking the role, uh, in terms of, uh, applying different modalities that you would generally see from, uh, like a, like a different practitioner, like a massage therapist or a, uh, a physio or something like that. Yeah. I think, uh, know your scope and, and stay within it. Um, 
we are at a disadvantage in strength conditioning and personal training um, because we don't have a governing board. We don't have a college that decides what that specific scope of practice is. Um, so it is left up to individuals to make those calls on their own. Um, I don't think people use use those modalities effectively. I don't, again, I don't think that they're doing what they think they're doing. Um, when I see SNCs or personal trainers um, using tools like, uh, like actually like putting their hands on, like I, I think what we're, what we're often doing is we're just, we're putting pressure on painful parts of the body and thinking that's doing something. I'll refer out to the massage therapist here, but um, like, I, I think that you can sometimes get lucky and get a positive like neuromuscular um, like short term response to that um, where, yeah, maybe pain decreases for a short time and you're able to load that tissue. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a bad thing. Um, but yeah, I, I would say for the most part, like, keep your hand, keep your hands off. I think foam rolling, lacrosse balling, self-massage is, is great. Um, and then I think the other piece of this conversation is what you guys have been talking about the last couple of weeks in terms of self-efficacy that, that there are some, like, there are some really great tools to, to again, provide those short-term adaptations, um, that, that people can use on their own and they, they don't need me pressing into their whatever. Yeah, that's why you send them to me, the massage service, and I'll press on their painful spots and get paid for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I was go, personally right? offended. I was personally offended when you said that, Charles. But you know, it's whatever. <laughs> no, you went from best yeah, podcast right. guest to you know, somewhere in the middle there. But um, uh, so, so when you when you're doing it though, there's like there's a system to it, right? Um, there's a system. There's uh, there's a strategy to it. There's a well thought out process to. Um, to what you're doing. I don't think that occurs on the training floor very often um, when it's a personal trainer or an SNC doing that. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny, Charles, the more you, the more you listen to the podcast and the more you get to know me, you'll understand why, like, I actually don't think soft tissue therapies do pretty much anything to a certain degree. Um, yep. so I, I agreed with what you said before where you're like, it's not doing what people think. Um, some, uh, you can actually leverage that and that's sometimes what I'll do, but even with the whole, like, you know, pressing on certain spots and like having a plan, like, sure. I might have a better plan than someone that didn't go to college for, but even like what's in my scope of practice is, you know, constantly being debunked. We're like, I can't do frictions. Frictions don't break down scar tissue, but that's within our scope to do. Like it's the most ridiculous thing in the world. So yeah, uh, that's actually why I transitioned to personal training stuff. And a lot of my actually a lot of my massage appointments are actually going to probably mimic your training sessions. I'm working on people's development of certain things that like, you know, I do have some athletes, but even just the general population, like there's somebody to be said about strengthening, uh, strength and conditioning to help a person kind of overcome a neurological block, a mental block, a actual physical limitation that is actually causing their chronic, whatever X, Y, Z, you can kind of put it in there. So, uh, I think you'll hopefully that my hope is that you'll start to see everything kind of morph into one thing altogether. Um, and yeah. kind of thing, all these foam rolling and all that shenaniganery, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. I think, um, 
it was on a, a couple of pods ago. I, I don't remember the guests you guys had on, but you're saying kind of like in that ideal world, it's, you know, there's no longer chiros, physios, RMTs. It's, it, it's all the same thing. You go to the same school, you learn the same techniques, you learn the same like actual science. And then, and then it's up to you as the individual to develop your approach to, to optimize human performance. And I, I, I love, I love that. I think, um, I think, yeah, strength and conditioning, personal training should be in that same, should be in that same group. Um, every single one of those practitioners needs to understand, uh, what exercise, what movement proficiency can do in terms of yeah, pain management, um, and making people, yeah, feel better, perform better. Definitely. I think that's partly why you're also seeing like, uh, at least to a degree in like the uh, evidence-based movement, you are seeing like a, a lot of clinicians that care about uh, keeping up with current research and stuff. You're, you're seeing physios and chiros become a lot more similar than dissimilar. And then while they had maybe different schooling, they actually have similar approaches, different letters next to the name, they have similar approaches. And like even Ty who's an RMT could be in that camp now too. Yeah. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. No, I forget. Yeah, I remember that conversation, but I forget which guest that was. <laughs> yeah. Because I remember I saying like, that that was my ideal world. That is my like that yeah. is my brainchild. And it's I'll stay my <laughs> I'll stay my I, I, I feel I feel like a, a lot of the guests that we do that we do chat with and all, like uh, the reason why people uh, like we bring the people on that we do is that we all have that similar mindset uh, in terms of like where you kind of using like the best evidence that's out there. Uh, to kind of uh, formulate our processes and uh, uh, give give the people in front of us the the, the best the best bang for their buck essentially right um, yeah. because in the end if you're selling like like voodoo blah like stuff that's not gonna like work or like be any good then like there's no value like they're like like just like simply put right? you mean so, you don't want to pimp yourself out for a ring dinger. <laughs> i do i do want to get one at some point just to like understand why yeah yeah it's you want to thing. empathize you're like it's it's yeah. r&d man i need to go for my own learning yeah going off what you said ty i can't wait for a podcast guest to come on and be like contradictory to like what the three of us believe because we're sort of in an echo chamber and that's the reason why we have these guests on because i'm like oh i like yeah. their philosophy i want to talk to them i couldn't wait for charles to be like here and (laughs) the three of us would be like are you out of your mind and then big drama and i could throw it on youtube throw it on instagram and it would get millions of views but i don't know like you just said no you actually said like how much time do we have i get weird (laughs) there's definitely some uh yeah there's definitely some things that could be said so um yeah but yeah like like in the end like uh like like charles has like a lot of like he's got years of experience working with youth youth athletes right so he's got that different mindset and different approach which is like absolutely fantastic right like mm-hmm. like in the end like you're impacting someone's life and you're you're an acting influence and i know i've had had those influences when i was younger and that's kind of like what's gotten me into it right is uh there's the positive experiences that you have with exercise and 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 allowing it to be fun and keeping that like element of play in it right so kind of talking about the fun side of things uh like what's what kind of music you got going on in the gym like what's what are your workout oh, boy. Uh, playlists uh, going on these days? Yeah, so I, I say they're not guilty pleasures if you're not uh, if you don't feel guilty about them. That's um, true. But yeah, That's it's true. it's sort of uh, just like any sort of bad pop music. 
Um, One Direction still uh, still top of the list for sure. Yeah, One D's One D's great. You put on Drag Me Down by One D, and everyone's everyone's going pretty good. So uh, (laughs) Harry Styles has a new banger out. uh, What is it like Watermelon something? He's got a couple of hot tracks. Watermelon Sugar Tie. Come on, yeah, yeah, Watermelon Sugar. (laughs) Yeah, would would recommend listening to the new Harry Styles album. (laughs) (laughs) If you don't PR to like a country song or a pop song like Ariana Grande or something. Then we sure, can't be yeah. friends. We can't yeah. be friends. Love it. All yeah. about it. Yeah. If you only PR to like Slipknot and stuff, something yeah. wrong with you, you know? Yeah. Come on. Yeah. I think, uh, man, Jason Derulo, you're like you're Savage cheating. Love right now. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh boy. Maybe take it easy, Maybe off my radar, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Well, boys, oh, I, I, don't, I don't see where we go from here. This is beautiful. I mean, I do have a million more questions for Charles, but. Um, we can save it for a part two because we definitely have some good questions lined up that we want to go through. Um, but we'll definitely go through rabbit hole kind of too much. So I want to do the honors of thanking you for coming on Charles. Uh, this was awesome. We have not had a conversation like this on between sets and I'm glad that you did the most talking because I think people are kind of sick of us. Um, so no, it was nice. Fresh perspective. Um, I'm glad that you confirm my bias. So I'm happy with you. Um, but again again the tiniest little bit like disappointed that it wasn't you know this big thing um, i can't wait for someone just to slam their laptop part, closed part or something two, man part part yeah two. We'll part two. Oh, yeah. yeah we can get nice. a little weird yeah, cool um yeah if you guys don't have any more questions or concerns or anything like that uh i'll, I'll sign off I'll, I'll, leave, I'll leave it to you guys real I'll quick and i'll sign off anything Did no I? we're all good okay any good jokes charles uh, buddy, I wish I did. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, for, for those, uh, for the two of you guys, that's, uh, one of my icebreakers with, with all my athletes is it, uh, it started out as like a real question. I, they'd come in, I asked them if they had any good jokes. Um, and it's become just kind of like this long running standing joke, um, of if they have any jokes, they never do, uh, nor do I, but it's, uh, it's a good way to, good way to crack <laughs> the icebreaker is way just to crack asking, the ice. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. I'll, yeah. I'll, here, I'll give you guys. I'll give you guys one that my girlfriend's obsessed with right now yeah. because she's uh, she's the cutest little thing. Uh, she's a goes, family show type. Oh, wow. <laughs> no, it's, it's a good one. It's a really nice one. It's it's family friendly. Um, how do you make a tissue dance? You put a little boogie in it. Nice. Yeah. There you go. She's, so she's loving Decent. it. Yeah, I'm I know. Oh, oh no, <laughs> that hurt me. That hurt my feelings. Uh, that's that's it's almost one of those like uh like what's the best time to go to the dentist that joke i'm like oh yeah. uh, i get offended but you know it's are we still, trying to I'll increase our audience or do you- yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, hey, it's, it's at the end you know yeah. this, one, this one this Stay one this one nobody's, nobody's still listening uh, no they're, they're all gone as soon as i start talking again like oh, okay see ya. um I, ha- I do have a question charles that i i, I ask every guest and i don't think i did it on the last podcast because we had too many guests but um, hang on, my my headphones actually just got out for a sec here. Give me one no sec worries. here, boys. Um, this is the most important part. Yeah, so. um, and you didn't even prep for it, so you're actually going to drop it on him last minute. I know. I, I apologize, Charles, but you're going to nail this one because you're a smooth talker. Um, if there was one thing you'd want every single person on this planet to know, what would it be? Ooh, it's a big one. Um, yeah. I am. I'm glad that I'm a fan of the pod because I did. I did know this was coming. Oh, damn um, it! I, I know. Yeah. Shoot. Sorry. Um, yeah. Can I? Can I cheat and have two? Of course. Yeah. Okay. So um, I've got two for kind of like two um, different different populations, I guess. 
for um for practitioners um uh, people like ourselves um i just i want to remind everybody that human bodies are really cool and it's it's our job to help people um exploit that coolness like it, our job isn't to to make everyone a, a cookie cutter mover um or to develop perfect posture or whatever it is um embrace the uniqueness and and let people let people move the way that they're designed to move you're hired um yeah you're hired. <laughs> coming to work for you yeah. yeah um and then from from the client the patient the athlete perspective just being your own advocate for your care and for your performance um do your do your research uh challenge us as practitioners ask us questions be a part of the process um because you know your body best dude well said again that was you just said that you like it's like you read the mode of strength website or something (laughs) (laughs) it was beautiful yeah, and again, you went right back up to favorite podcast guest. You did it, Charles. Yeah, sure. Back. <laughs> it's been some, like peaks and valleys here. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's a roller coaster right. ride. That's what we're looking for. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna open up the red carpet for you then, Charles. Uh, can you plug anything? Like, obviously, let let everyone know exactly where you work in case we have some uh, listeners out there in the in the beautiful province of BC. Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, at Fortius Sport and Health in Burnaby, British Columbia. Sweet. Um, and that's all I got. Check out my Instagram. It's kind of cool sometimes. Charl.smith. It's like Carl, but with an H. Nice. Um, I didn't even and, notice. Uh, it's not Charl. Yeah, see you there. Yeah, I didn't even notice that. It's one of those <laughs> things where you, you see it with your, like, you make it up in your head, you know? Yeah, you. sure. <laughs> um, and I just want to remind everybody that uh, Tim is obviously still doing online training. Uh, obviously during with COVID we, we can't be training people at Moda. So if you guys are interested in some training programming and some nutrition advice, um, visit modastrength.ca or email info at Moda strength or follow Tim on his social media. Uh, you can find all that in the show notes below. Obviously uh, we'll also plug all of Charles's things there as well. Uh, Moral's offering that too. Moral has online stuff too. So yeah. And yeah, we got some, yeah, online training. That's what it is. Yeah, they're the, they're the best of the best because because I don't do online training. Otherwise, I'd be the best. Uh, but if you want to do something that yeah that is the best, you're going to come see me for massage therapy. Uh, I'm open at Moda Strength in Aaron, Ontario. Um, and if you guys are around and, and you need some some attention, some TLC and some S&C, uh, let me know. And, and you can find all my info, of course, at modastrength.ca and all that fun stuff. And Thank you for listening to the podcast and we appreciate it if you rate review and subscribe wherever you're listening uh, so we can help grow share with your friends and family and your dog or whoever and that's pretty much it boys anything else that's it beautiful thanks for coming right, guys, on, thank- yeah thanks team that was great thanks again for listening everybody and we'll catch you on the next one <laughs>